Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Gag, a spoof cast where I, Joshua Simon, do the time warp again with some of my favorite goddesses and try to unpack why scary movies after 11 p.m. turn me into the gay, anxious gremlin I know and love. And today I have a very special guest. Uh, you know her poetry, you know her uh, epic slam poem, Clytemnestra. Is that, am I pronouncing it right? You're pronouncing it right, yes. Clytemnestra. <laughs> also poetry books such as for Black trans girls, comics such as... Well, no, I only, I do like novels, novellas, and novels, poetry books, novellas. but Ripley and I are thinking about doing a graphic novel. A graphic novel. Okay, so soon-to-be <laughs> graphic novelist. You can also catch her on YouTube on the series King Esther through Issa Rae Presents. It's Lady Dane Figueroa Edidi. Hello. Baltimore's hey, own. Hi, hey, Baltimore. Hey, Baltimore, D.C. We're the whole DMV area. Hello. The whole peninsula. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's, you know, I've, I've been telling, you know, when folks, when I've been texting folks or, or folks have been texting me, I've been saying that I'm allowing myself to feel all of my emotions fully. It's a good time to do that. No one yeah. can see you. Yeah. <laughs> well, not just that, right? It's like, you know, when I'm like, when I'm angry about the, the state of the world, right? Because mm -hmm. we know that particularly in this country, I think some other countries may be doing it a little bit better as far as the ways that the government are really the governments are showing up for the citizens. Mm -hmm. um, I think our I think our, particularly this president and this administration are not really showing up for us very well. No. Um, and so I am, you know, there are times when I'm angry, right? And so I allow for myself to feel the anger, and and there are times when I am sad, and I allow for myself to feel the sadness, and there are times when I'm really happy, and I allow myself to feel that happy. Right. And so I think that uh, it's important to at the same time that that we're that we are um, investing in rest, we are investing in uh, reimagining our dreams and reimagining the future that we also allow for ourselves to also feel the emotions that we're told aren't that we're not allowed to feel. Right. right? If you need to take a, a break from your, you know, scheduled productivity hours to feel some feelings, that's, I think, totally understandable. Yeah, More than understandable, yeah. it's, it's necessary. I mean, it's one of the ways I'm staying sane through all this. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you do anything every day or start your day in any particular way to set yourself up for the, the next 23 hours? Well, what I found was, you know, because I, I've, I've had a lot of jobs, right, and, and I have a lot of gifts, that um, I, because there was a time in my life when I was a political commentator, right, that, right. that I that I would wake up and, and I would immediately go to the news to find out what's going on today, right, and I think that now... As I'm taking off my earrings, I know y'all can't. I know y'all can't. Uh, <laughs> you need to, you need the earrings to be off so you can spill the tea. You need to be able. You're getting ready. <laughs> and I think that like now, um, I have found myself at the beginning of the quarantine checking the news every day, right? Because I wanted uh, yeah. to know where we were with the relief package, where we were with all of these things, and and um, I tried to on my social media 
um, not only share my 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 views and my opinions about the state of the world or et cetera, but I also particularly given now because there are a lot of relief funds that are coming out, I try to mm-hmm. share those as well or any yeah. kind of information that could help folks. And so that's part of why I was like checking the news too, because I wanted to know, oh, what's the new relief fund or what is the right. new thing that I can share on my my social media so that people can know that they can get help from this place. Right. Um, but what I found was is that it was actually setting up my day to um checking the news immediately um it was i wouldn't do that on a normal day right so right. it's like it, it was setting up my day to be not as centered as i want as i would want it to be in order to process in the ways that are the most helpful to me yeah and so i stopped doing that <laughs> i say all that to say i stopped doing that i get on the news uh, <laughs> to look at the numbers to look at the major headlines and i'm like as soon as i start feeling like psychosomatic stress symptoms i'm like that's enough news <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I try to, um, I, I, so now what I do is I, when I wake up, I either, um, I, you know, I start with some breathing, I do things like that, I, I try to do some centering, and I also allow for myself, because the show I was doing was postponed till next year, Mm -hmm. so I don't have to, I don't have to immediately wake up out of bed and get up out of bed, is that I, I wake up and I actually allow for myself, um, for my body to really breathe and, and, um, uh, I don't want to say come to life, right? But it, but it's almost, it, it, you know, um, transition from the realm of sleep into the realm of awakeness. And so I literally just allow myself to be in bed as long as I need to. Then I get up and and I do, you know, I do a routine. So that, so that being and then in you bed go to the couch. I need to. Yeah, well, I mean, no, I actually, I actually, um, I watch a show, right? Or I watch, I watch a movie or, or I watch a TV show that I, that I like, like I'm really big into um, K dramas, uh, dramas from Korea and like historical dramas um, and fantasy shows from China. So like I, right now I'm watching this show on Netflix called Handsome Siblings. Handsome um, Siblings. That's, um, it's like a fantasy drama from China. Oh, it, okay. It came out last year, I think. And so uh, I watch a little bit of that. I wake up and then I do I allow for, you know, the things that I have to do for my day to happen. But I think, I think it's also as, as we talk about transitioning from a culture of uh, that centers people and not necessarily products Mm -hmm. that, that we also um, talk about taking the time that you need to be able to fully be as present as possible in your day. It's true. When you don't have anything like taking you out of the house, out of that realm of, you know, home, casual. If you don't have anything that's like, okay, I'm leaving my house to go to work. If you're literally going to another room of your house to go to work, it feels different. You have to reacclimate yourself to be like, okay, I'm not in bed anymore. I'm in a workspace, but that workspace is also right next to your kitchen. And that can be dangerous. Uh, (laughs) I'm looking at brownies right now. Listen, I tell people they can eat all they want during this quarantine truly like fuck your diet (laughs) like all well i mean like well stay healthy but also like don't let it concern you too deeply what you're eating yeah like you know what i mean i think that i think that part of it too is that it's like that's a whole nother podcast but (laughs) (laughs) but i say but i rejoin me through my body dysmorphia podcast next month listen i it's like that's a whole nother a whole nother podcast that that takes a lot of unpacking and a lot of historical um and collective trauma you know talk about capitalism (laughs) okay i mean bonding in person over the collective trauma of capitalism is what keeps 
uh, broke artists together, I think. <laughs> and the fact that we can only do it from screen to screen is difficult, but it's also, it's, it's reminding us of what we used to do when we were out there well, in I, these I streets. we're learning now though, right? I think we're learning now the importance of art. Um, we're yes. learning now the importance of um, farmers, whether they be undocumented or otherwise. We're learning now the importance of the folks who stock our food um, oh, at, the, at, at the grocery stores. We're learning the importance of, um, you know, the folks who actually clean uh, our buildings, right? And, and yes. who clean um, the streets and who clean the buses and the subways. It, 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 it's the like, people. yeah, everyone is like, is coming out in support of these people and and then you think back and remember how often you've seen them mistreated in in when before all this happened i'm sorry yeah. did i well no 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 i was just saying that and and you know i think that's absolutely it right and that and that we're learning um that really the ways the thing that supports a nation and the things that make a nation great and or uh prosperous are actually the folks who are who are doing the work that that help us to live a life free of fear. I mean, you they're, know, they're I, called I essential that, services in in, right. in almost every state's shelter in place order. The people who stock food, the people who deliver food, the people who uh, provide public transportation, the people who provide sanitation and cleanliness are all being deemed essential workers. Right. I feel like this is bringing out the best and worst in people who are appreciating these workers, but still in times of stress. I have seen grocery store workers mistreated more often in the past week than I've seen in years. The, the amount of respect and the amount of people who are lauding them, you're also seeing like people in stressful situations lashing out at the people who are literally stocking the grocery saying, why don't you have hand sanitizer out? And it's like, cause there's literally none. And so, and so they're not right. They're not critiquing these people, right. Are not critiquing the government. They're not critiquing the right. administration. They're not critiquing the president. They're not critiquing um, CEOs of company or billionaires who actually have enough money to make sure that all of us have hand sanitizers and Clorox wipes and Lysol spray and our houses, right. Bezos, if you're listening and we know you are, <laughs> you can send every household some Purell. You and Purell can partner up. It's, it's money. It's an opportunity. Opportunity. But I mean, but I mean, seriously, Send us like, hand sanitizer. we have to be clear that yes. like, you know, this administration knew about this in, in January and knew how, how easily transmittable it was. So if the fact is, is that the way if we are, if we don't have a vaccine, right, but our job is trying to avoid uh, transmission until we can create a vaccine for it, every house in the U.S. needs to have hand sanitizer Lysol spray and Clorox wipes. Yes. And so that that mass production of ventilators, you know, the hospitals need ventilators and alcohol. We need all of these things. Everyone like, needs um, electricity alcohol, right? and water yeah. heaters and like, access to news paid, right? and their like, rent paid and internet access. All these things that people <laughs> people buy because we live in a capitalist society and these things are necessities but are never provided because that doesn't make money we're realizing now that, well, these things aren't being provided for us by a government that's continuing to lie to us. Right, correct, correct. Oh man, the, the curtains are falling. I mean, the curtains were very thin to begin with. 
Oh, baby, listen. I think that there were some people, you know, changing their curtains every day. Up. Well, I mean, try, you know, trying to get us to wake up about this. I mean, I think about. Oh, people um, have been doing that work for years, of course. I don't yeah. want to say that it's brand new, all of this, but. Well, just think, right? Just in January, just think about how pundits, right? Think about how Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were saying we need we need healthcare for every American that's free and accessible, right? And how right. And pundits, that was a crazy idea. pundits are saying we're saying no, people love their healthcare. It's tied to their job. They love it. And now look where we are. Who loves their healthcare? Show me one. <laughs> person who loves their healthcare right now and i will show you no it's you're right and i'll show you that they're paying hundreds or and or thousands of dollars to maintain that healthcare, right exactly and so like i think for me it's one of those things where it's like wow and then when people talk about and i know and i know this is a horror movie podcast I about this, but i do life is a horror movie right now let's talk about it with this with the movie we're going to talk about right because sure they does. are a poor family and so i think that um the the, pro- the protagonists of the movie all are yes. poor family. And so I think that like, you know, when we talk about I hear pundits now talk about um, the ways in which this particular uh, pandemic is affecting black and brown communities um, mm-hmm. and they're not linking it to the uh, to structural racism or white supremacy or any of these things. And I'm like, that's so irresponsible to just say, oh, it's affecting it's these disproportionately communities affecting people of color. That make that possible, right? They're not talking um, about why it's happening. They're just saying, "Look at this unbelievable new statistic we just unearthed about how this country treats people of color." It's amazing, isn't this news? Correct. While Black Lives Matter about six years ago was saying structural racism exists, y'all, we got <laughs> we got to dismantle white supremacy, right? Not just Black Lives Matter, but Black trans women, um, you know child okay okay what's that what's the the subject of today's right so we're talking about (laughs) we're talking about scary movies um (laughs) you said you don't love scary movies is this Mm. correct this is the thing Mm -hmm. i used to watch a lot of scary movies when i was younger and and, and really up until my late 20s um i just found that for me um, but you're still 29 you just had a birthday recently (laughs) Happy, happy birthday, happy Easter, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Um, it was so, you know, I felt so nice that my birthday was so close to Jesus's resurrection day. Exactly, you know, it's... Um, in, you used to watch scary movies. Yeah, in, I used to watch them. And, 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 then I, and then what would happen is, is that my sleep would be a hot mess and oh I'd be boy. like you know what, boo, I'm gonna lay off of the scary movies right now. So, of course, like, you know, I watched Jordan Peele's work because it's it's not just scary, but there's also something about it that's deeply um, intelligent and deeply um, um, moving or uh, and deeply um, subversive about his work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will watch, like, old black and white ones or, or things before the 80s, right? So things from the 70s and 60s. But as far as some of the new stuff now, like the Saw series and some of these other kind Quote of like- Quote unquote torture um, porn? Yeah, and like the, the you know, possessed and all that. I was like, child, <laughs> no, thank you. none of that no more. So- um, Not a fan of the Conjuring universe? No Annabelle comes well, home? Well, you know, I watched, I watched, I think Annabelle might've been the last one that I watched, but- now, what is so interesting is that I watch a haunted movie. I watch a haunted house movie from, say, 
Britain or or one of the Latinx countries, right? But I wouldn't watch an American one. And I and I think I don't know what that's about right now. I would have to unpack it. But so so that's why the house at the end of time. <laughs> the house at the end of time. Sorry, I got distracted because it is now pouring. Pouring rain. Yeah, it was pouring over here a little bit. Oh, it just got yeah. to me. Um, yeah. I wonder if you'll be able to hear it. It it'll be fun when I listen back to this recording and all I can hear is just pouring water. Like we <laughs> recorded this behind a waterfall or something. Um, so before we get into the movie La Casa del Fin de los Tiempos, mm-hmm. did I say that right? I think you did. <laughs> I um, was like, okay, using the Spanish name. <laughs> it was, you know, that was the fancy title card saying the name in Spanish and then the boring little subtitles underneath calling it The House at the End of Time, which is a pretty uh, fascinating title. So yeah. I was already invested. We talked about what made you uh, gangshous this week, self-isolating, reading the news, um, we talked about what's keeping you sane. Uh, before we get into the movie, do you want to tell me what else you've been gagging on? K-dramas, Chinese dramas, are these on Netflix? Yeah, and then also, uh, so my sister, Erin Lang, and I, we do, we used to do an Instagram Live every Wednesday, but I think we're going to use another platform for these next two weeks. We have been getting into Little Fires Everywhere. <gasps> yes. Which is starring Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon. It is perhaps, it is a brilliantly acted series it's a brilliantly Mm -hmm. written series um and i think that the way that they deal with race is incredible yeah and i and 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 doesn't it doesn't put on the um it doesn't sweeten anything for yeah okay you know (laughs) for anyone's comfort no Mm -mm. is it uh does it give does it give you any kind of emotional whiplash watching it or only the best kind Oh, only the best kind. I mean, it, it, it is, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. And, okay. and I rarely, I normally, when I'm watching shows, I can kind of guess what's going to happen. Maybe that's because I'm a writer. Maybe it's because like mm-hmm. thinking about continuity or, but with this one, I was like, wow, I didn't see some of these things coming. <laughs> so. Carrie Washington gives nothing away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's something brewing, but she'll, she won't, she won't show you. Yeah, until, she until is. She's ready to show it to you. As Miss Mia warned, honey, she is. She is letting us have it. Oh, yeah, boy. letting us have it. So, I'm watching that. I'm watching Zoe's an extraordinary playlist. <gasps> you are. Oh, I Man. saw episode one, and then I saw a clip of uh, Lorelai Gilmore singing along to uh, Kesha. It was it. <clears throat> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Did someone sing TikTok? It might have been. It might have been her. It might have been that character. Um, so I'm watching that. That's it, a good. That's a yeah. good show. Good. Too. Yeah. It's it's like cute. It's fun. It's almost like um, I don't want to say it's like Glee. It's almost like Smash. Do you remember Smash? I do remember Smash. Yeah. It's almost like Smash. And, Season one and or I, two. <laughs> Oh, God, season one. There are two types of people. When we had hopes, right? When, <laughs> when we, we had, had hopes. hope before they brought in Uma. <laughs> but um, and it's, it's a really sweet story about family. Um, oh, gosh, so many things. I watched uh, On My Block, the third season. Ooh, how was that? Um, it was okay. It, um, 
my allergies. All right. Uh, <laughs> Your microphone muted you. I know I did. I did. Oh, you muted I was like, I said, like, oh, I'm, I'm um, going to mute this. I know. I'm like, I got to get me some tea. Where's but, the mute um, button on this thing? <laughs> um, that was okay. The, the third season, I would have to, I think I would have to watch the three seasons again. Because it was something about the third season that was like, oh, all right. Does it set up um, hope for a good fourth season? <clears throat> Uh, I think so. I think that they, I think that they set it up so that the fourth season could happen if they wanted to. Ah. Um, I said handsome siblings, right? Yes, you did. That's from China. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm trying to think. I feel like what did I finish before I finished that? I don't even remember. Any K dramas or? Well, no. Well, no. I feel like I haven't watched a K drama maybe a year because I've been I've been getting into these like the Chinese fantasy dramas. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's been like one after the other. Um, <clears throat> but I definitely feel like I watched us. Oh, oh, Kim's Convenience. Kim's Convenience. Yes. Oh, is um out of Canada. Is that the one that's no? That's not Steve Byrne. That's um, Sim Simu Liu. Is he in that? I it, think so. He, he's a, about to play. Uh, he's about to play in a Marvel movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. I think. I think so. It's. I mean, it's a great. That's I'll cut a great this show. out if it's all wrong. We'll just right. <laughs> end up on Kim, the cutting room Kim's floor. Kim's convenience is super funny. Oh, um, it's about a, a Korean family. Um, in Canada. In Canada. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think they're in Toronto. Like a downtown. Area. Yeah, and they and the and the parents are immigrants, mm-hmm. and they have a convenience store. That's why it's called Kim's Convenience, right? There it is. Um, and their children was born; they were born uh, in Canada, mm-hmm. and so it's it's about like um, the relationship <clears throat> between first generation yes kids and their immigrant parents. Yeah, yeah. And then um, also, I watched the series Fifty, which is a Nollywood, so that's out of that's out of Nigeria. Um, I liked the movie and so the series is ridiculous and so like you know um, every episode I was like what in the world (laughs) what in the world is going on y'all and so I think that that's how you know that an Hollywood movie is great because you're just like this is the most (laughs) ridiculous and they are acting their behinds off and I just cannot right now so is um, the is that famous meme of the woman screaming as she's running away from a car and then a yeah. man asks <laughs> yes, her, why are that's you running? Nollywood. Is that from Nollywood? Yeah. <laughs> it can only be Nollywood. <laughs> I love that you described it. And I'm like, I've seen that. I've seen that meme. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, is the yeah. encapsulation a, of Nollywood. It's, um, yeah, I mean. I love it. Yeah. And I, I love some of those actresses. Some of those actresses have, have been in other movies and things too and so um that's great you know one of my favorite singers is i think she is south african and nigerian her name her name is yemi aladay i really like her work and so mm-hmm. yeah um yeah. i think those were just some some of the you know some, some stuff of the you're on. i mean yeah. we have a lot of time a lot of free time <laughs> i i was gagging on in honor of easter i watched the 1999 patricia arquette film stigmata in which, oh. in which a Pittsburgh hair, hairstylist played by Patricia Arquette starts showing signs of um, Jesus's uh, crucifixion. You know, yeah, a I fun little that. romp. 
It I was, saw that in the movie theater. Yeah, oh, it was so 90s. I loved it. It was yeah. the tail end of the 90s. So they were still, I mean, Nia Long was there. That's how you know it's the 90s. Nia! <laughs> She's, she plays the best friend. They don't give her nearly enough to do, of course, because it's, <laughs> it's a 90s horror movie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And Patricia Arquette's doing the most. She's a hairstylist, and she has this beautifully lit clawfoot bathtub. And I'm like, where, where is she living on a hairstylist's salary that she's got a beautiful room that's just a bathtub and candles? Yeah. Well, I feel like, I feel like, if, well, this is the thing. I think that sometimes because, you know, Little Fires Everywhere takes place in the 90s. And so sometimes oh, really? I'm like what how was that the rain and then i'm like oh it's the 90s it's the, the 90s. 90s that's true and it and they they i think it's in pittsburgh i've been to pittsburgh and you can live you can live pretty swell you can you yeah. can get an old like converted warehouse apartment for like yeah i was there last year, $10 and a I, year. Had, I had a lot of fun i had a lot of fun in pittsburgh um pittsburgh is fun it's a great setting um i've also gotten through most of a nunsploitation film called The Other Hell. <laughs> nope. What? <laughs> so, in the 70s and 80s, there were a series of films back when these censorship laws were getting lax, and a group of filmmakers decided to make as many exploitation films as possible. You know, they started making women in prison films, like starring okay, Pam yeah. Greer. <clears throat> That's that's where that's how Pam Greer got her start. So, despite the exploitation aspects of these films, I'm always like, at least they discovered Pam Greer. Um, <laughs> another version of these movies was called Nazi exploitation, obviously involving a lot of Nazis and Nazi camps and all that. And then there was the nun exploitation movies, which took place in convents and usually involved nuns going crazy stabbing priests becoming possessed things like that and i'm like maybe i shouldn't be watching this on easter it feels like bad juju <laughs> so i still listen yeah that doesn't sound like... exciting to me <laughs> no it's not a genre for everyone although it did make its way into mainstream with certain uh british films starring like vanessa redgrave made a nunsploitation film as soon as one of these genre films comes out there's always that parade of cheap knockoffs and i as a little gremlin love going for those obscure knockoffs being like i want to see the dollar store version of whatever this is <laughs> and that's what i lean into through all this rather than actual artistic things so i guess that's why i guess that's why i am here making a horror movie podcast <laughs> to keep myself sane and you chose why did you choose the house at the end of time um I, because I felt like I just I like found it right like I did not find it it it, it popped it up on you. my feed right like mm -hmm. at a time when I was watching a lot of um British haunted house um movies Whereas mm -hmm. like, you know, um, so I'm writing, I'm writing a book called The Anthem of Trees and it's, it is a gothic, it, it could probably be considered a gothic novel. And you know, gothic novels often have, they're like big houses and they often have aspects of horror to them mm -hmm. um, or suspense or thrillers, right? <clears throat> and so it's kind of a gothic um, whodunit, et cetera. 
So I was doing a lot of research on like um, haunted house films. And that led me to like British, like haunted house films, which then this popped up in my, yeah. in my, um, and the cover of it was like really dynamic. And I was like, what is this? This looks like it's going to be like, not great. Right. It looks like it's going about to be like one of those, like low budget, whatever. Yeah. And so, and so I looked at it in the beginning of it, gets you right because the beginning of it is kind of the it starts right into it yeah and then you kind of you know you jump actually you do jump around time in the movie itself the time jumps take a little bit to get used to like you told me this movie kind of starts off slow it it takes its time and it does take its time setting up the time warp element but once it gets rolling and you realize that time travel is involved it starts rolling real real hard <laughs> yeah yeah <coughs> oh forgot to mute yeah let's try that cough again <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's how it is when you're on the radio they have a little cough um, and a little button, button you press, you press yeah. it it goes mm-hmm. off uh i also am uh, it's raining so hard that i am genuinely concerned about the sound quality of <laughs> the rest of this recording but you know what it's we're all learning right right how it works um, um, so that so that's why I picked it. I thought like by the end of the movie, it started off scary, right? Mm-hmm. And and then it and then it was a little bit slow, and then it and then like the horror elements of it, the supernatural mm-hmm. elements come in and out of it, and then by the end of it, I was crying. Yeah, I was. I mean, I had I had a few gasps and sobs here and there. I watch so yeah. much of this stuff that sometimes I'm like, am I a stone-hearted bitch? I'm not crying, but. Um, <laughs> It's just that I I watch so much of this stuff. Uh, but I was watching it with my partner, and he was crying. So that's always a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that I think that I had expected it for it to be some like campy, cheesy, haunted house movie. I didn't expect for it to be like the characters to so be emotional. so three dimensional, yeah. and like the lead the lead is amazing. Like she's she's incredible. So she is. Um. We could totally get into some plots about. Yeah. What so y'all, if you if you're gonna is. watch it, I would say maybe watch it then listen to the podcast. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> going in, I I had not seen this movie before, and going in without um much knowledge other than it was about a a woman and a house at the end of time makes it a a pretty awesome experience to go in blind. But this film involves a woman who is sent to prison for a crime that seems to have supernatural uh, implications. And 30 years later, she is allowed, or she is put back in that house under police supervision and begins to experience the same supernatural events. And it, you're right, it does seem to set up that it's just one of your run-of-the-mill haunting movies, but it's more complex emotionally and more complex um, motivationally. Yeah. And it's also from Venezuela. We, we buried the lead on that. It is a Venezuelan film. Yeah. And, and it also, like, it actually has Latinx people who are dark-skinned, brown-skinned, mm-hmm. not just light-skinned mm-hmm. um, Latinx folks. And that's another thing I loved about the movie is that, like, everyone is all different shades. Yeah, I mean the. Oh, never mind. I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> Sorry, the rain is is wild right now. 
Uh, this is becoming a podcast called Joshua Listens to the Rain and occasionally <laughs> talks about a horror movie from Venezuela. Um, the, the movie concerns this woman, Dul- Dulce. Yes, that's her name. Yeah, uh, D- Dulce. Dulce, and uh, as played by the actress Ruddy Rodriguez. This is one of the most popular horror movies out of Venezuela that I was, that I discovered through, you know, the most cursory of research, but not just, not just the haunted house angle, this film makes you think about a lot of things, like when she's arrested, when she's incarcerated, she spends 30 years in prison for something that we know she didn't do. Right, yeah. And they put her back in the house where the crime occurred, which was a little wild to me, like, I think she's on house arrest, and so I think that mm-hmm. that's her house, right? I think they, she owns it. Yes. And so she had to return home. And you can kind of tell that it hasn't been tended to, right? That no one's lived there. Yeah. So they, so they put her on um, house, because it's like, it's dilapidated. But they put her on house arrest, but they put two, they stationed two guards. Yeah. Because she's also old, right? So they- She's old. The, it, it seems to be some kind of compassionate release type yeah. of program, which is- a wild concept of of how the prison industry I mean this all takes place in another country but of course watching it here makes you think about the wacky terrifying prison system we've got going on where as soon as it gets overcrowded they they compassionately release people on their own recognizance even if they have even if they're too elderly or, or disabled or sick to actually provide for themselves when they need yeah. the prison system pr- to provide for them the most that's when the prison system casts them out it's crazy yeah well i mean like the prison system here right isn't really mm-hmm. made for rehabilitation and it's really not made as a compassionate way of um holding mm-hmm. people accountable it, it's made i mean it, it here it was based off of a system of classism and racism mm-hmm. so <laughs> And still is. So, like, um, that's that on that. That's and, that on that. So, the Venezuelan prison system. Let's which I don't, about, I don't really know right. a lot about the Venezuelan prison system. I, I don't either. I tried to look into the property rights of, of incarcerated people because if you go to prison and you don't have anyone on the outside looking after your property, after the things that you own, you could easily lose it all. Like, the government's just waiting to to snap all that up as soon mm-hmm. as you know people are no longer able to hang on to their own property like that's why i was wondering who who maintained this house while she was in prison of course i don't know how the venezuelan prison complex works but i would say probably without giving away anything too soon i would say probably a f- a, probably a friend of hers, probably the parents of a friend of her son's. Sure. I mean, that woman who, who sent her back into the house was like, I cleaned it up for you. You're welcome. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for doing the bare minimum for this woman. That's so <laughs> nice. Of you. Uh, yeah, let's get into the supernatural of it all. Um, yeah. When you realize that it's not ghosts, but rather a time loop, I love a f- I love the way a movie like this can suddenly flip the genre. It makes you think it's one genre, and then it kind of, and then it not kind of, it completely switches things up on you. And it's like you thought you knew, yeah, you thought you knew because you saw the Conjuring. You thought you knew, yep. 
And you see the ghost, right? You see the quote-unquote ghost. Like, in that first scene of Supernatural happening, you actually see the ghost. You see the the old woman run and shut the door, right? And so you know that it was actually the old woman who was doing the thing. And then you actually see the sun, right? But Mm -hmm. you see the sun look differently. Yes. And it's not explained what's going on. No, it's not. It's like a Netflix series that just gives you only as much information as you as it like the the twist of who the ghosts actually were reminded me of uh the haunting of hill house yes in which you find out that certain supernatural events that you were witnessing turned out to be uh premonitions of events that occur years and years and years in the future Mm -hmm. and when a movie can do that to you and really even if you're used to watching this kind of film when a movie can do that it's it's very thrilling but the supernatural does exist too because when she goes to the medium the medium is actually channeling channeling time events she's channeling time she's yeah the, the ghosts the ghosts in this film are all are either memories or prophecies yes there's no action. Which is brilliant. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> There's no spirit world, just time, which is a ladder. Yeah. Whatever the, or whatever they said in Game of Thrones. I wasn't really paying attention to the last season. I think they did say time is a ladder. Was that Littlefinger? Littlefinger was like, mm, time is a ladder. Mm, time is a ladder. That's I'm how going to talk. be king one day. Mm, <laughs> and then they were like, mm, just kidding. It's the eighth season. We're all dying. Uh, <laughs> out of character everyone was out of character i read i read a tweet that was like notice how nobody's rewatching game of thrones through all this nobody no no I nobody mean, wants to go through that again the the sheer arrogance right of of the two writers to one think that that's a whole other podcast yes next week as, <laughs> as joshua stares out the rainy window and thinks about the eighth <laughs> season of game of thrones and occasionally talks about a Venezuelan horror film. Uh, <laughs> I don't, you don't see a lot of uh, horror films out of uh, Venezuela. I asked you if the political crises in Venezuela that occurred right after the release of this film had anything to do with your selection, and, and they didn't. Is that right? No, no, it didn't. It didn't. I just, because um, it kind of had popped up, and then mm-hmm. like I watched it, and I just was like, I thought that the way that it handled all of it, right? It, it, because the, sh- the movie, you think it's going to be a haunted house movie, but it actually is a movie about a family of people yeah. who, um, and, and, and really a single mother who may have a partner, but she's really trying to provide for her children. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't necessarily know how to. And it's about th- this family and the two brothers, right? And the love between the two brothers. Yeah, um, the family drama is what really gets you sobbing when you think you know you're in for a, a haunting movie and then it really pulls the rug out from under you that way. Right. So um, then it's like it's the then it's like you get the family drama and then it's like, oh, things weird things are happening in the house. Family and drama like, and also right, stab. Stabby right. mix stab stabs. <laughs> so much stabbing and so much family drama. <laughs> we love to see it. Um <laughs> the way her religious convictions also change i feel is a i don't want to say it's a common trope of of latinx horror films but because christian religion is so intertwined with latinx culture now post post colonization of course the way that people's 
relationship with God or whatever they believe in or pray to, the way that that changes is a common trope. And I love the way this film handles her faith too, Mm -hmm. as something that is not unwavering, as something that is always in flux. Yeah. And how, and how really it also demonstrates that like you can't really take away indigenous practices from indigenous peoples, right? And mm-hmm. so her going to the medium is, yeah. really, is really her um, choosing to, to tap into a part of herself or a part of her culture that colonization has tried to take away. Right. And I think that it was the first time, one, where she was taken seriously, and two, where we start to, in the, in the scope of the film we begin to we begin to experience the time loop is true as opposed to just in her psyche right it's you know her the people around her have been gaslighting her her husband has been gaslighting her like as soon as she starts to question his ability to provide it it goes south so quickly because Mm -hmm. as the the quote unquote man of the house he is supposed to provide and when she is doing most of the providing and then questioning why he's not doing his part he immediately becomes defensive to the point of abusive practices like manipulation and gaslighting um which is when you know when horror gets into some real shit (laughs) that's when that's when you're like oh did i make a good choice (laughs) to watch this film today I feel like I did because it was a beautiful, beautiful movie. It was also beautifully filmed. Yes. Like the, the way the movie yes. was shot, the, just the cinematography, the eyeline, the use of color. I mm-hmm. think the use of color to delineate between certain time periods is very helpful. Yes. And I think that that is, that is a common theme of a lot of Latinx shows, right? And a lot of actual, and a, and a lot of um, non-US uh, shows mm-hmm. uh, or movies, right? is that color and cinematography is is sometimes as, how can I say, that it's its own character. It's as integral to the movie's effect as the actual, as the performances. As the jump scare the, or yeah. the, right? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's something that movies used to be lauded for doing in the 60s and 70s era of, of horror movies. And they're, they're all, uh, a lot of movies, a lot of horror movies these days are almost monochromatic. It's the opposite side of the spectrum to what we were, the horror that horror junkies were raised on and uh, the horror of color and of sweeping cinematography that we were raised yeah. on. We now I are mean, like, think about Jordan take... Peele, right? Yeah. That's why some, some people love his work. It's not just because it's written brilliantly or it's acted brilliantly, but Everything also like a... his... Every, every color is intentional, right? Every detail is a choice. Every, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's like the way people used to pick apart Kubrick films being like, why did he choose to put that chair in the hallway? And it's like, okay, maybe it's not that deep, but it's, <laughs> pe- but, but you can tell when a director is paying attention to these little things. And I think, mm-hmm. I think the director, Alejandro Hidalgo is doing this uh, similar thing here. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, when she goes to the to the fortune teller's house, and I love that everyone that she just asks a stranger, do you know where the fortune teller lives? And the stranger's like, yes, yes, I do. Everyone knows where the fortune teller lives. <laughs> That's, it's My an- My girl, it's of not course. Even, in the opening scene in which the the crime that she's committed of is taking place, she is 
she's praying to she's talking about the blood of christ it's reminiscent of that woman who was stopped by the news the other day as she was leaving church and saying aren't you worried about spreading the virus and she's like i'm covered in jesus's blood i'm fine and you're like it's not about you right that's not how that works but okay thank you so much right like yeah they set up that she's that she's leaning into her faith at the beginning, and then as soon as the priest shows up thirty years later, she's like, "Nah, you're you're too late. Thirty years too late for this." Well, I think it's because right, she she desires to be believed, and that the people in her community are not believing that she is incapable of doing this thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the the irony of the movie, right, is that like she's guilty. That's actually yeah. the irony of the movie, right? Is that but she that, did it, but she didn't but, know she did it. Right, that version know of her is not guilty. And so she's being punished for something, talk about Minority Report, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's being, right, that's the movie with, is that the Yeah, movie? that's the movie where they're like, you're the under arrest cogs. because we know you're gonna do this crime. Yeah, so she's being punished for- We saw it in for, a pool of goop finding her husband and for and for her future self doing the right thing actually right like her future self actually the fact that it's the necessary thing to do just killed me like oh man when that when that bomb drops you're like oh my god the the when it it makes everything that the movie does to you that's confusing or that's uncomfortable it makes it all click into place but in a way that is so heart-wrenching to see yes i was gonna say heartbreaking absolutely because and she I think sells that- it even under even under that old lady mandy moore makeup she <laughs> sells the emotion she's amazing her acting I, you know that i feel like this movie i don't I'm not sure what won the oscar that year best foreign language you know, best foreign language yeah, film 2013 14 i'm not sure so it, pro- it came out in 13 so it might have been nominated for 14 Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes what what countries do is they'll submit a film uh, to the shortlist so they'll say this film made the the shortlist or was submitted to the academy but did mm-hmm. not end up getting nominated or like she could she should have won right like her acting in this movie is actually phenomenal it's it is oscar worthy acting it's kind of um, like when parasite started sweeping the awards and everyone's like did you not pay attention to any of the individual performances in that film because those are oscar worthy performances but because it's a foreign film it was kind of said we're just going to take this film as a as a package deal as like it's almost as if when the academy looks at foreign films they look at them like an old painting and they just want to talk about the artistry of it and they don't talk about the hard work that goes into it right that sometimes in certain countries right the, the schedules may be harder on folks because have to be twice as good. To be twice as much. <laughs> I wonder where I wonder where I heard that before, Olivia Pope. Uh, <laughs> so it's like um, I mean I think about Lupita, right? And I mm-hmm. think about how Lupita should have been actually nominated for us twice. How... <laughs> Supporting and lead. Hello, they she did that. To... Yeah, characters. She and she was brilliant as both of those characters and um she really gave a master class right oh absolutely and so you know i i know that that's neither here nor there but i th- i think that you know rudy's acting is is was phenomenal and 
the scene where she the scene where she's hearing the scene where she's hearing the truth but we don't know that it's the truth (laughs) (laughs) because because we you know we have these assumptions about her that she is a strong woman she's she she's morally she's morally upright what we would call morally upright right um and so when the medium spills her tea (laughs) (laughs) the medium spills her tea and she doesn't even know it's her tea she's like what are you oh that's another place where the film uses uh sound rather than visuals because they make her close her eyes and then you can only hear what's happening you only hear it and that helps when you see it occur in in real time later in the film Um, it's another brilliant storytelling device when the art the medium of film takes the visual away from you because the medium is the medium is blind yeah so yes. she her right. So we're actually experiencing we're we're being taken into her world. Right. And I but at the end of that though, as it's as it's as it the shift that happens is that we actually get to see another part of the sh- the movie that we don't know is gonna happen till later with the old I'm okay, we said spoilers. Yeah, the spoilers. older son as an older old, son as an as old, an old, old man, man oh. coming and touching her shoulder. Which happens yeah. later in the tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is connected. I love it. It's good storytelling. You when when you you said I don't know much about horror, horror, but I know about good storytelling, and this movie is good storytelling. I immediately got excited because, as someone who's familiar with your work, you do know good storytelling. <laughs> you tell them for a living, and you're quite good at it. So, <laughs> so I was excited to 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 watch this and um and just experience such raw emotions in terms of loss and in terms of the family like disintegrating family dynamics the themes of motherhood and how difficult it is to provide for your loved ones and the pain of not being able to fulfill the promises you make to your children is 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 just oh it's yeah. a lot to handle. So like, emotionally speaking, if you're having a rough quarantine, maybe you don't want to dive into this film today, but it is, a, it's a great story. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. a good piece of cinema. And I'm glad you brought it to my attention. I loved, one of my favorite scenes too, was a scene where he, where the older brother comes to the younger brother and he hugs him. And he only he only does the time loop because he only wants to see his younger brother again. Right. And I was like, Oh, it was yeah. <laughs> and then the like that tears streaming down the cheeks. And that's the version of the son who then is taken. If he had not done the time loop, mm-hmm. he would have also died because like that's the version of the son that's then threatened by the father who the old the the old woman version of the mother has to kill that the father and take him with her to save him anyone who has not seen this movie yet <laughs> i'm sorry it's just that you you're completely correct it's just that the <laughs> the hoops they have to jump through to follow that sentence that you just said it, <laughs> But it's completely correct. 
I love it. I love it so much. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, this is so, and that, and that even the idea of loss for, for her, right? She doesn't matter what she has to lose as long as she can protect her children. True. So she tries to save the younger son. That doesn't work. Then, because she's, she's the one who gives the letter to him saying, don't go out and play with your brother. Right. Or he's going to die. Right. And then she does save the older, bro- the older brother, but she's so old that even in the end, it's just about saving his life because she can't care for him anymore. Right. If you can, yeah. You the ending, will... right? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped taking notes. I was like writing it down. And then as soon as all the time loops started converging, I was just like, pencil down, watching now. Like I wrote a note about filling up water balloons with your own pee. And then that's the last note I took on this film. <laughs> they fill the, the childhood games. I was like, I don't, I don't recall filling up a water balloon with my own piss. I do not I know. Who who taught this game to them? But I'm like, this is who's doing this? Who is giving balloons to these children? <laughs> I did not do that. I did not do that. I mean, the, and, and shout out to the director, right? For like, right, yeah, not being afraid to, to show keep track, but also like to keep track of like the continuity of things. Yeah. Because at the end, you, you, I mean, because you see it throughout the movie, you see the time stuff. But at the end, you see it again from another perspective. But, like, everything has to happen exactly how it happened in that first scene. Well, that first, the third scene. Right. Because the, the third, third scene, scene, which is the 12th scene, which is actually the scene from 70 Years in the Future, which is actually from the past. And it's also 1981. And, oh, it's raining again. <laughs> right. Um, it's a wild movie. It's a wild, it's, it's, Yeah. It stays in one house, and yet it takes you on such a roller coaster ride through that house. Yeah. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. and the reveal that that was his friend. Oh man, so many reveals that just bring tears to the eye. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for bringing this movie to my attention once again. Um, it was truly, it was truly a treat. I enjoyed gagging on it so so much. Did we talk about everything in this film that you wanted to touch on? I think we did. I was, you know, I would recommend it for, I mean, hopefully everyone stopped listening, went to go see it, and then listens to this commentary. Yeah, and whether they listen to the rest is like fine. It's whatever. (laughs) Just Um, as long as as Apple has the download count, it's fine. (laughs) Right, right. But I also feel like, I also feel like, you know, if anyone's still listening, I definitely recommend to give this movie a chance and, Mm -hmm. and, um, to watch how you can actually make a horror movie that is deeply intelligent, that does defy, does does subvert and defy the genre. <laughs> Something that starts with emotion and, and character and layers on all of the artistic aspects that make a horror movie watchable, the, the way it uses color, sound, and, and light to, to always put the focus yeah. back on the characters and their emotional uh, wants and needs is is truly a treat and maybe maybe now that I'm thinking about your first question that you asked me at the beginning right which is um when I you know when when I said I don't really watch a lot of horror movies I think for me part of it is because 
I think everything has to start with story. Mm-hmm. And when that, when that deep emotional connection to what can be lost um, is not felt, whether, whether it's that, you know, there's a stalker murdering all the college students or blah, blah, blah. But it's like, when there is no emotional connection between the deaths or the loss or the, I'm just like, okay, what, what it's, is the reality yeah, of this Yeah, it's just thing? violence for violence sake, just for yeah. what story are we telling? What emotions are people feeling? And, and that's yeah. something that takes priority. For, and maybe that's why I don't going. watch a lot of U.S. <laughs> horror movies, right? That could explain it, yeah. <laughs> Some of them start with a hockey mask instead of a... <laughs> a woman's wants and needs and providing for her family. <laughs> Although if you think about it, Friday the 13th starts with Jason's mother being like, I just wanted my child to have a fun experience at summer camp. And now and I have to murder of all of you. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, but that's why that's one of the best in the series, with, yeah. right? Because it starts with an actual story uh, rooted in emotions. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Spoiler alert. It wasn't Jason. <laughs> In the first. Not in part one. <laughs> you're listening to this. Uh, you're, you probably already know that. <laughs> whereas, I I think, whereas I think something like, for me, one of my favorite Friday the 13th, not Friday the 13th, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. is actually the one that um, takes place in the, um, they used to call them halfway houses, but it's, it's um, with the youth, right? With the youth where they're, I think that she's their counselor, um, in like the third them. movie where they're in that where Lawrence Fishburne is there I think that might be it I think that that's one of my favorite ones and it's and it's only because I it was like oh you I, I knew kids like them yeah right? they focus I knew- on the relationship between the kids who are in this uh uh recovery home or this yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, and the fact that they bring in the original final girl and prove that she's not infallible um but she is trying to help the the, the kids who are going through what she went through that immediately creates that emotional connection. So that makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. I think that a lot of queer horror lovers will often point to Nightmare on Elm Street part three, the dream, which is the, the dream, dream warriors, warriors as being more queer coded than part two, which is often touted by non-queer horror people as the gayest horror movie made. But if you watch it as a queer person, it often feels like you're watching what a bunch of straight white dudes think Mm -hmm. queer culture is. Right. Well, I will say that when you asked me to be on the podcast, there was, I know we got to go, but when when you asked me to be on the podcast, there was, um, there was actually a movie because my mom, she used to have me watching a lot of black and white movies. Mm -hmm. There was a movie and I couldn't remember the name to it that I was going to recommend as well. And that, and that one, that was the first because, you know, like in horror movies, right, trans characters were oftentimes thought of as um, the vi- they were the villains the in other, these movies. Yeah. Or, 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 um, and so, like, in this movie, and I don't remember which one it is, and you probably do know it, uh, it's, it's two siblings. There's a brother and a sister. And they basically are um, trying to figure out, like, who's murdering folks in the town and who killed the father and all these things. And then what you learn at the end, Oh, and that the brother is married. The brother is getting married to this woman who's doing all the killing. And what you learn is, is that the two siblings were actually um, sisters and that the father wanted a son. So the mother 
made that you know it's supposed to be like it's supposed it? to be like how they did trans characters back in the day right and so yeah. at the end the the she's like the sister is like oh my god she's like the 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 wife the the fiance is 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 walking towards her um and she's like oh my god trying to call out for him ian ian or whatever his name was i don't know what the fuck his name was and he's like, "What, Janet? Probably I'm you. right here. What, Janet? And it's her, right? It's like it's the. It's the I fiance. think I know what movie you're talking about. What is movie it called, was that? Is it called Homicidal? Maybe I don't know. It's a black and white film. It William is. Castle directed it. It came out like right after Psycho, so it was cashing in on that whole, um, the the cross dressing queer monster like Homicidal, I believe. Yes, Miriam. Yes. <laughs> Ian, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to watch that now. But uh, yeah, yeah, that movie is not a not a premiere uh, depiction of of a trans. It's so transphobic. Life. It's, so, it's transphobic. so transphobic. <laughs> so many. I mean, even even the most some of the most recent depictions of trans people in horror is still transphobic. M.J. Bassett, a, a trans film director, has an episode of Attack of the Queer Wolf where she talks about Silence of the Lambs and how watching it made her realize at the same time that she wanted to be a director and also at the same time that she was struggling with her gender identity and talking about how strange it was to see a movie that both inspired you but also deeply hurt you. Yeah, I mean, I used to, when I was young, I actually grew up, when I first started writing, well, you know, I grew up on, like, Shakespeare and Langston Hughes and, and Zora Neale Hurston, um, mm-hmm. but when I got a little bit older, I started, that's when R.L. Stein got popular, and so I was reading Goosebumps, and then I transitioned into reading Fear Street, which was for Fear young Street. adults, yes. right? And so my, some of my first books were were novellas and they were written in the horror genre R.L. baby (laughs) so I just I think about right I think about how some people have asked me like would I write a horror play or a horror movie and I was like you know I I probably could but I would certainly want I would certainly want a whole like cast of LGBTQIA folks oh, in there. Like you know what I mean? Living their lives, right? Being being where it's where it's literally a non issue. They're right. like they're at a summer camp. It's right. it's the same as any other eighties slasher, except everyone happens to be queer or trans and that's and it's not commented on at all. But I think though, right, that we experience so much violence already in the in, in the world outside of cinema that yes. I I would be uncomfortable with cre- with writing a movie that had that level of violence or mm-hmm. supernatural and or otherwise, right? Um because we're already experiencing so much of that violence already outside right. of the genre that I don't necessarily need a horror movie that has um, an explicitly trans uh, protagonist cast and or antagonist. I mean, I think that Angelica Ross played, uh, I mean, her character was more than likely cis in American horror movie, uh, yeah. uh, American horror story, um, which I think it's fine for trans, for trans folks to play cis people. I think that that should be happening more off stage, right? I think right. it happens on stage, but um, so uh, for me, and I'm happy that she had survived because I was like, you know, even though she yeah. perhaps is playing a cis woman, it would, it would, knowing how gory American Horror Story is, it would be very triggering to experience, to see her 
experience violence on screen. Right. Like, it's not, like, unless you can start, like you said, from a place of emotional and storytelling importance, violence against, violence against queer and trans people depicted on screen for violence's sake has no place in the future of horror storytelling. Right, right. So, you know, if you want to make the trans girl the final girl and you wanted to make it some, like, story about, you know, a, a slasher film and or a... Um, she reconnects with her mother at the end and <laughs> she... Like, make it make it emotional. <laughs> Don't just make it a violent <laughs> slasher movie. Give it a story. Give it a twist. Um, but I think that it would have to be intelligent, right? And I think that it would yes. have to be intelligent in the ways in which it's a social commentary on the ways in which culture treats Black trans women. Right. Who I think could possibly, who I could possibly write this movie and, and have them direct, mm-hmm. a, a famous director now, is I perhaps would either want the... Um, uh, the new director of, of the new Candyman film. Nia DaCosta? Yeah. I would I would perhaps want, you know, Nia DaCosta. They keep you calling know. it Jordan Peele's Candyman, and it's like, <laughs> the director's name right? is Nia DaCosta. <laughs> yeah. It would, I would either want, I would either want Nia mm-hmm. to be the director, because, like, even just from the, just from the trailer, I can see that, like, she understands black culture and she understands what a horror movie would look like in a gentrified black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it looks visually appealing so far. Oh, yeah. Um, and, or perhaps Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. but, um, I would want to be the writer. I would want to be the head writer in that room. So Absolutely. calling the, 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 the cultural shots and all those types of things, but yeah. Soon. Soon when we're <laughs> soon when we can leave our houses, you know. First, first we get out of our houses. Then, then we write movies. I mean, like this would have been a great time actually for them to release that um, unfriend movie. Actually, <gasps> oh, I love unfriended. This would have been the time because, like, it everyone's rea- everyone is interacting that way, and so yep. it's so much more relatable for that to happen right now. Yep. Oh, uh, I bet the director. I bet the director of of that movie is going. Damn, should have waited. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I guess the point of this podcast was to say, check out Unfriended. <laughs> this this has been an hour long ad for the movie Unfriended, and I hope right. that you all know, <laughs> Lady Dane, ancient jazz priestess of Mother Africa. Yes. It was a it was a pleasure. Let's was, do this again sometime. It was a joy. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm glad you gagged on this film. I'm glad you sent me on a gagging journey of self-discovery on this film. And I would watch it again in a heartbeat. I you know I did watch it again. Because I mm-hmm. because because I you know the last time I watched it was like 2 years ago. And mm-hmm. it has it, and it has it has lingered with me yeah. um, as one of the most brilliant like movies period, but then also like horror movies. Mm-hmm. So um, I did watch it again for the, cause I wanted to, cause I had forgotten that the young son died. Oh yeah. I forgot all about that. I so. mean, <laughs> they, they dropped that emotional uh, <laughs> landmine on you very suddenly and then throw so much more at you that you're like, wait, what, who, what? <laughs> Who's Rodrigo? I- 
it just doesn't stop right it, it does not stop it does not let up um, oh boy but yeah but thank you for having me on of course where can people find you where can people buy your work so people can buy my work at www.ladydanefd.com if you're looking for any of my books that might have horror elements to it i would say check out the um see muhammad series which mm-hmm. is um part of my ghetto goddess uh universe and um i have i have three books that are part of the ghetto goddess trilogy that's mm-hmm. about a family of witches in baltimore <clears throat> but some of what? those characters cross over with um the see muhammad series which is an ongoing series of novellas and it's about a witch detective and that takes place in dc at the time that the novels are taking place in baltimore mm-hmm. and so there are a lot of horror um they meet in Colombia halfway. <laughs> well, well, the, some of the characters, like, some of the characters guest star in each gotcha. thing. So, like, Kalafia is actually, she's the lead of the Sea Muhammad series. She is, she makes a guest appearance in the Ghetto Goddess trilogy in book three. Awesome. So, yeah, and vice versa, some of those characters. So, sure. if, if people are looking for that kind of writing for me, that probably has the most horror elements in it out of my books um and then i also am co-editing the black trans prayer book uh Mm -hmm. talking about religion (laughs) and um (laughs) working on a documentary when we can get you know back to traveling and stuff and instagram and any instagram twitter instagram is lady dane fe and twitter is at the lady dane my my twitter is very political um, I use that specifically for political, um, which can be a horror show sometimes. So if you're into <laughs> horror, check out the political Twitter feeds. Child. You'll be you'll be done with horror in five minutes flat. <laughs> okay, um, and then on my Facebook, uh, lady, uh, my Facebook is Dane Figueroa Aditi. That's my fan page. Yeah. So gotcha. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, as usual, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Simon Says. You can find me at The Gag, a spoop cast where you can rate it five stars and leave an awesome review saying how awesome I am or, or whatever you want to say. I'm not going to write your review for you uh, unless you ask me. And until next time, until the next fracas in Caracas, I've been canning that joke for a while. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lady Dane. Um, And until next time, I hope one day we get to leave our houses and talk about more awesome storytelling together. Me too. (laughs) And with all of our friends who are listening right now. So until next time, you gay, anxious gremlins, goodbye.